does anyone else not have any clue what to expect on Saturday night when Oklahoma plays Iowa State? In previous years of the playoff era, I was fairly confident that OU would rebound from their first loss of the season, largely because the losses carried a certain fluke-like quality to them. In 2015, Oklahoma lost to a bad Texas team that finished the season 5-7. and seven. The Sooners' performance in that contest was a clear outlier compared to the games that had come before. They just played extremely poorly in a charged rivalry game. The next week was no problem. They went into Manhattan and beat K-State 59 to nothing, ended up winning the Big 12 and going to the playoff. In 2017, the home loss to Iowa State was definitely shocking, but so much had to go right for the Cyclones that day that it was pretty easy to chalk it up to it just not being OU's day. They also had dominated Ohio State on the road earlier that season, and they were very clearly a good football team. OU rebounded from that stunner to win the Big 12 for the third straight year and go to the playoff. And of course, last season, OU was clearly outplayed by Texas in the Cotton Bowl, but Mike Stoops was largely seen as the main culprit in that outcome. When he was relieved of his duties the next day, a new optimism washed over the fan base. And of course, OU rebounded by winning out, beating Texas in the rematch, and going to the college football playoff for the third time in four seasons. But I'll admit to feeling kind of weird about the Sooners' loss in Manhattan a couple weeks ago. I just don't know where the team will go from here. Maybe it's the late bye week that has muddied my thoughts. Maybe it's the growing media narrative that OU's playoff chances are on life support, and that the SEC is assured to get multiple teams in the playoff. Either way, it's hard to escape the reality of Saturday's contest. OU is in a pressure-filled spot, and they're playing arguably a better team than the one that beat them a couple weeks ago. We're going to find out a whole heck of a lot about this OU team on Saturday night. Can the defense recover from their first bad outing of the season? Is Jalen Hurts capable of carrying the team when the defense needs it? Can they collectively rise up and be great when their season is at its pivot point. I really have no idea, but we're sure going to find out on Saturday night. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. We're focused on being one know this week. We don't make the schedules. We don't, we don't do none of that stuff. We're focused on being one know this week. We're going to learn from everything. We're going to continue to move forward. Trying to be one know this week. Do you pay attention to what they come up with tomorrow night? You know what's crazy is... What matters to me is being one and know this week. Was that the same mentality you had in the year? I sure do want to be one and know this week. How badly do you want to be one and know this week? <laughs> Pretty damn bad. Jalen Hurts welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. An even weirder than usual Hurts press conference Monday afternoon. He was short, he was to the point, and super focused on being one and know this week. All right, it's been a while since our last show, so a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including final thoughts on the K-State loss, what we learned at Monday's press conference, all the Iowa State stuff we know, and probably a bunch of other things that I'm not thinking of right now. By the way, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. Of course, we'll bring him back in a second, but first, going to plug some stuff. We always appreciate new ratings and reviews on iTunes, preferably the positive ones. If you want to leave us some feedback, feel free to head over to the West of Everest Facebook page. You can drop us a note there, or you can find Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25, at GrantBenson25. I'm also on Twitter at LeeBensonNews9. And 
if you're into email, we don't get a whole lot of them anymore. We used to get a lot more, but uh, the Facebook page has been a good source of information from you listeners out there. But if you still want to use email, you can go for it. The email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, time to bring back Grant. And based on your opening take, should we just skip the portion of the show later on where we ask you to tell us what will happen in the game this Saturday? No, I got. I have no clue. I have no idea what's going to happen. What a what a weird time this is. I just I feel like the bye week just kind of came at a weird time this week. And of course, it always sucks to go on a bye after losing a game. And then you're you know, thankfully they're at home, but they're going up against what I think is a really good team that has some good personnel. You know, I, I and a good it's a well coached team. And I I guess I just don't know where this team's head is at right now. That was a I, I think I think that loss a couple weeks ago was just as shocking for them as it was for a lot of us here. Um, not a lot of people saw that coming, and so it can be difficult to to rebound from something like that. But that really has been the mo of OU the last, I mean, what the, the last four or five seasons they've been they haven't lost a game in November in that time span, and they're going to have to do it again this year. So, and I think it's probably going to come against what is 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 their toughest slate. Um, uh, toughest November slate in these last four or five years, you know, probably. So I don't know, man. Kansas State put a lot of stuff on tape that I think other teams might be able to exploit. Will that matter? Who knows? OU might just come out and just play a lot better and it may not matter. But um, until we actually see them on the field and actually, you know, do something well or do something good, I have no idea how they're going to look at all. And I think I think a lot of people, if, if they're being totally honest, are probably in the same boat. All right, yeah, I, uh, I'll say this right now, too. I also don't know what's going to happen this Saturday, and it pains me to admit that because a big part of our podcast is always making that prediction, saying what's going to happen. So, unfortunately, we're not going to have that segment today. We're going to talk about what we want to see happen, but since you and I are both out to lunch when it comes to what's going to happen because of how weird Oklahoma's last game was. and Well, frankly, I don't know. How- I mean, I'll, I'll still make a prediction. Like, I can still... Based off numbers and what's happened so far, well, yeah, I can still, it's just, it's just I take it's, a lot of pride in our predictions, though. Yeah, so I, I know. It's just it's tough to to make a prediction based off how eighteen to twenty two year old kids are going to are going to respond to what you know is the toughest thing that maybe they've been through in the last year or so. It's tough. Well, that's what our jobs our jobs are to do that though. So I suppose yeah, you're right. We have to because that's but what I don't yeah I people I, listen I hate, to this podcast for. I hate making predictions based off of trying to trying to guess how other people's headspace is like i just think you're 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 going down a a weird trail if you do that so no i mean i'll make a prediction based off of you know what should happen based off the personnel and what's happened so far this year and i think for a game like this as an ou fan or somebody who's analyzing the team i think right now you probably do have to treat that k-state game is a bit of an aberration not in the sense that k-state didn't put a lot of stuff on film that other teams can exploit because that's certainly true uh but you know at the same time ou still had about three and a half yards per play more than kansas state did in that game and that's you know stats are going to tell you that you're going to win more often than not when that happens so there was still a bit of a fluky element to that kansas state win i mean they they were perfect when they had to be and that just doesn't happen very often. So um, I don't know if you can count on other teams on the schedule being perfect and the perfect opportunities, but it's college football. It's why we love it. It's unpredictable. Well, since we didn't have any shows last week, we haven't 
finished putting the uh, the finishing touches on that loss to Kansas State, and you're just talking about it right there because that's yeah, it's still fresh in a lot of our minds because it was just it was so bizarre. None of us saw it coming, and so I do want to talk about a a, f- a few things from that game, starting with kind of a narrative that arose after that game ended, and that's that Jalen Hurts ran the ball too much in the game and. You know, since he has a bunch of RPOs and zone reads and also plays where he's got a run-run option kind of type where you can hand it or run it himself, which, uh, you know, maybe Hertz is making some of the, you know, maybe he's making some wrong decisions on when to hand the ball off and when to keep it. You know, after all, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks famously at this point only got six combined carries. So uh, this is one of those things now, on our post-game podcast, our last episode, you know, you and I didn't seem to put a lot of stock into this because of the way the game played out. But earlier this week, or I should say last week, when I was talking to Dusty Dvorak, by the way, if you want to see Dusty and I's talk, you can go to news9.com and go to the sports page, even though technically a lot of the stuff we talked about is a week old by now. But hey, you know, if you want to see me talking to Dusty, that's beside the point, though. But, but when I was talking to him uh, a little bit about this last week, you know, he wasn't happy with the lack of carries from the running backs. So I'd imagine that it's not just him, that a lot of Oklahoma fans are also not happy with the lack of carries for those guys. And Riley was asked about that last week on Tuesday during the bye week. Obviously, again, we didn't have a show, so we didn't have a chance to talk about this. But Riley was asked about uh, that scenario of Sermon and Brooks not getting a lot of carries. And Riley just kind of referenced the amount of plays the Sooners ran in the game, which wasn't very many, 57 to be exact. And also the fact that Oklahoma played uh, from way down the majority of the second half when when you're down by a lot of points, you're going to throw a lot more to try to try to obviously get back in the game quicker and conserve time. And so that was his thoughts last week. Now, this week on Monday, after, you know, some more time had gone by, it was then time to see if Riley had evolved on his position when it came to Sermon and Brooks and Jalen Hurts and all those carries and how they mix up, you know, who gets what. And so Jason Kersey from The Athletic was the reporter out of our, you know, us and the entire OUB media who asked Riley about this. And as you'll be able to tell here as I, I play this sound coming up, Riley seems to be uh, kind of annoyed with this storyline. Lincoln, I know we've talked to you a lot about the running back carries, I'm, but I'm curious from this perspective, are you satisfied or comfortable with the decisions Jalen makes on option plays generally? An option plays. Yeah, he has the choice to keep or get the ball. Yeah, no, he's, he's done pretty well with it. I mean, we wouldn't, if he wasn't, we wouldn't keep giving him that option, you know, but he's, uh, you know, uh, there's no doubt we want to, you know, we want to get all these skilled players involved. I, I get that, but I mean, we are averaging like almost 10 yards a play, so we're doing some decent things too. All right, so that's Lincoln Riley on that issue, and earlier, in the day, Jalen Hurts had his weekly press conference on Monday afternoon, and he asked Hurts' thoughts on this as well, and Hurts uh, clearly did not want to talk that much about it. Jalen, do you, when you look at the amount of, that you're carrying the ball compared to the running backs, do you think that that's a good ratio? Do you think that needs to be a little bit more balanced? How, how do you view that? Just go out there and execute what's called. But don't you have decisions on some of those? I mean, I, Okay, so Grant, you and I, again, we weren't really all that bothered by the lack of running back carries following the game. But, you know, now that time has gone by 
and you've heard the reactions from maybe uh, you know guys like Dusty and I don't know if you've read or gone back and rewatched it or you know maybe maybe your, your thoughts have changed uh, do you still feel that same way and kind of side with Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts when it comes to this thing being kind of a bit of a non-story or do you now side with Dusty and I guess Jason a little bit although he may just be trying to get to the bottom of the story I don't know what side he's on in this really uh, and then I'm sure there's a lot of Oklahoma fans too who also think that Sermon and Brooks should have had more carries which kind of side I guess are you on now I understand I understand the position of 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 one you know Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks are good and usually good things happen when they have the ball in their hands. But no, I think this is overblown. I, I think Lincoln Riley's explanation the directly after the Kansas State game is 100% correct. I, I just, I don't, oh, you didn't even run 30 plays in the first half of that game. They ran like 22 plays in the first half. They ran exactly 30 plays in the first half, actually. They did? Yes. Okay. Actually, I have some notes and stats, so not to interrupt you, but you can keep going. I just... No, that's okay. I just, I, I mean, and so when I did rewatch the game... I I guess to let you guys know what side I'm coming down on, I saw Jalen Hurts making some mistakes with, with keeping some balls. And that's going to happen. That's fine. That does happen. But those mistakes are magnified when you're down by 25 points and you only snap it 57 times. So I understand why people are like, oh, you got to get these guys the ball. But it, it really is a game flow thing. It's super easy to go back and retrospect and say, oh, to win the game, you should have given the ball more to Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. You know, I, I don't know. Kansas State had a pretty good game plan for stopping the run. Although, like I said, there were instances that I found that if Hertz would have given it instead of instead of kept it, probably quite a quite a good chunk of yards that would have been there for the ch- taking for Brooks and Sermon. Um, but that's not what happened. I guess I, I just we haven't really seen this be a big issue in Lincoln Riley's offense until this season. And it just so happens they have the best running quarterback they've probably they've they've had since the wishbone era. I I don't, you know, I, I'll I'll be monitoring it going forward. And yeah, I mean, let's say on Saturday, let's say they lose to Iowa State and Sermon and Brooks have like eight carries combined again. Then maybe you could be like, okay, they need to rethink how they're doing this. But at this point in time, it's not necessarily a trend. This was the first game that they did not just thoroughly dominate the opponent. And they lost. I mean, it happens. People are always going to look at a loss and be like, what could you have done differently? And I'm sorry, but giving the ball to Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon was not the reason they lost that game. It just wasn't. Yeah, I agree. And um, mentioned they had 30 snaps in the first half. And I went back actually today and just to kind of refresh myself and rewatch the thing. Okay, would it have made more sense based on the game flow to give these guys the ball more? And what I found out is, is this. I mean... Again, 30 snaps in the first half, Grant, and Oklahoma racked up 278 yards, scored 23 points. And again, I, I'd kind of forgotten about this, but you know, after that incredibly unfortunate interception at the end of the first, first half that led to Kansas State taking the lead, I, incredible that Oklahoma was able to get the ball back with so, so little time on the clock and get a field goal <laughs> and, and make it a, a one-point game instead of a four-point game. But... Oklahoma ran 30 plays, 270 yards. That's 9.2 yards per play. And Oklahoma had 23 points at halftime. Does that sound like there was a problem with the amount of touches that these guys got? Because Sermon in the first half had three carries. Brooks had two carries. Jalen Hurts had 10 carries. Yet, again, 30 plays, 
278 yards. That's 9.2 yards per play in the first half, and Oklahoma scored 23 points. And the problem ended up being that they settled for a couple of field goals, and they had that horrible interception that was terrible luck at the end of the second quarter that if Rambo just makes a simple catch, as Riley has mentioned, I think on Monday he mentioned it, and even last week he mentioned it too, that based on the blocking they had, because they had CeeDee Lamb there as well that could have blocked, Rambo with his speed and his skill, he could have taken that to the house potentially. Yeah, that's what I saw too. I thought he had a chance to score on that. At the very worst, it would have been a big-time explosive play that would have gotten Oklahoma across the 50-yard line. So... Yeah, I guess I just I and I'm not trying to be contrarian here, but I I just I take the complete opposite uh, stance on this. I think their clear game plan going into that game should have been we're going to come in and we're going to air it out. I, I think that was the correct game plan going into that game. And it's not even like that's exactly what they did. Uh, you know, so I, against a team like Kansas State, your game plan should be let's air it out and let's bury these guys. That's what it always should be. And that's what Kansas and, State was basically asking Jalen Hurts to do because upon rewatching it, Kansas State was selling out against the run. And to the question or the point you said, you know, you weren't sure, you kind of thought Jalen Hurts made some poor decisions, didn't play as well. And you know what? So I went into the game kind of with that mindset as well. Like, I'm not so sure Jalen Hurts played all that well in that game. And I had seen people tweeting about, hey, if he would have given the ball here instead of kept it, maybe this would have gone for an explosive play, maybe even a touchdown here and there. So you know what? I wanted to go back with some fresh eyes and watch it again. And so what I came up with, I charted every single snap in the first half. And again, Jalen Hurts had 10 carries in the first half, Brooks only two, and Sermon three. And so out of the 10 carries that Hurts had, here's what I decided or what, what I saw with my own two eyes. Out of Two out of the 10 times Jalen Hurts should have given the ball to one of the running backs, whether it was Brooks or Sermon. Just two out of those 10 times. Two other times, the GT counter was called designed for Hertz. They, they pulled the garden tackle the way Hertz was going to be running with the ball. So those are two quarterback design plays. Two of them, two, two other rushes by Hertz were either RPOs or RROs, I'm going to call them, a run-run option where either he could hand it off or he could run it himself or it was an RPO where... Uh, actually, one of them was an RPO. It was a touchdown run where he had C.D. Lamb on a bubble screen to the right if you wanted to throw it, or he could pull it down and have Creed Humphrey out in front of him blocking, which he decided to run it, resulted in a touchdown. So that was two of them. And then four, his four other rushes were just scrambles. So only, from what I could tell, only two out of the ten times that he ran should he have given the ball off. So it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, Grant. And I think that goes back to why Lincoln and Jalen are kind of like dismissing it and not really wanting to talk about it because they're comfortable with way, the way the game played out as far as when it comes to running the ball. I mean, they just they know that they did things where they, they've always been doing it. They, again, accumulated 9.2 yards per play. And then once the third quarter began, they went, they went three and out twice. But remember, it was uh, Kansas State got the ball first, went down and kicked the field goal. OU went three and out. Then Kansas State went down, scored, and then on the kickoff, TJ Pleasure fumbled, so Oklahoma's offense didn't even have a chance to answer there, and then Kansas State went down and scored. It was 41-23 to by the time Oklahoma had their second possession of the third quarter, and then went three and out again, and then that's what led it to be, what, 48-23? to And so by that point, of course you're going to throw the ball around. Like, what are you going to just try to pound the rock and – and hope that Kansas State stops selling out against the run. 
so it, it makes total sense that game flow, the, the lack of amount of plays, the way that they're down by so many points. That that I, th I think our thoughts after the game immediately was pretty much the correct thoughts. And I, I upon rewatching it, I'm even more certain of that now. Yeah, and the only thing those and um I mean, you're right. You said it was it was what, only two plays that that hurts should have probably given it to that's the what running I, back. That's what I decided upon rewatching in the first out of ten rushes by Hertz. Two of them, from in my opinion, he should have handed off. The other eight were There's either. There's one. Yeah. Go ahead. There's one in the back of my mind where it was a, uh, it was kind of a fake, like the outside veer to to Kennedy Brooks, and uh, and Hertz kept it, and he ended up getting tackled on the edge for a loss of like two or three. And I think, I think, that think was if on the he very first it to Brooks, I think the game. I think that was in the very first series um, of the game. Was it? I, I I can't remember when it was. I actually went back and forth with someone on Twitter about it last week. Um, I think Kennedy Brooks may have scored on it, actually, when, when, I, when I keep re-watching it. Um, the guy I was going back and forth with, he, he, he was of the opinion that K-State defended it well and that Brooks was maybe also going to be tackled for a loss. But no, he was already on the outside shoulder of the nickelback, and he had blockers in front of him. He may have scored. So here, um, here are the two times where... I marked that Hurts should have given it, and it's actually the very the second play of the game, second down and four. They run uh, a GT counter, and it's he could either give it to the running back or the GT counter was actually ran for Hurts. That's the one where he fumbled. Yeah, yeah, and so the defensive end comes up field and sits, and Hurts instead of giving it keeps it and gets three yards. And I I thought he should have given it up because on that play it looked like if he would have given it, Hurts would have ran right by that defensive end I think unless the guy would have like grabbed him and somehow held on to bring him down but like, if he got past that defensive end I think he had some good blocking out in front that could have gone for a long time and so that drive ended up in a ended in a field goal and then the other time that I thought that he should have handed it off but he didn't actually you know what I take it back the next drive it was a first and goal I thought he he should have pulled it but he actually gave it to Brooks so it was kind of inconsistent and Brooks just got killed because both guys, both uh, the, both the end and the defensive tackle, just crashed on the two polars, and so now I suppose I need to look back. What was the other one? Let's see. The other one I'm thinking of, he was. They were going. They were going right to left on the screen. I think it was the second quarter. Um, and yeah, I guess I mean I. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to pull it out of like out of midair. I mean, does it matter? Like, who cares? Sure. Yeah. Game's over. Game's over. Well, does it like? I, I'm sure you could you could probably go back in you know in games that they won by 30 and you could say oh Jalen Hurts made a mistake there Kennedy Brooks would have scored if he would have if he would have given it so like it's of course we're we're gonna take out our magnifying glass in a game that they lost but you know, oh here you go sometimes you just got just Here's move on I, I mean think, Kansas State was sorry sorry to interrupt I think you're I think I found the play that you're talking about it was late in the half it was first down and they ran the GT counter motion for Hertz and the quarterback so I think that's probably why he kept this because the defensive end goes up field and kind of sits and Hertz keeps it where it looks like if he would have actually given it to Brooks going going away from the the way the play was going he might have been able to beat that defensive end and maybe go for a while but the play was well, designed I I think, we, to go to him and so he kept it and that guy on the defensive end that Hertz was reading ended up catching Hertz on the backside and tackling him for a loss well, I think on the one I'm thinking of, there was a blitzing linebacker that came in that ended up getting Hurts. That you said it was going right see. to left. I'll, I'll, it was going right to left. Yeah. yeah, that was. I think that's what yard line. Uh, I didn't mark it down, but it was the it was the play right before 
the Nick Basquin trick play that uh, he threw it and it was intercepted after Rambo dropped it. So. Yeah, I think this is. I don't think they, they were the one I'm thinking of. They were closer to midfield. I think. I mean, it doesn't matter who. I. But I just, it, as far as that narrative though, because I think that was something out there. I just kind of wanted to get that out there and show that uh, we're just not really on the same page as that. So, uh, I I'm very confident in the way we kind of thought of it afterwards. And I will say though, I went in thinking that I was going to be kind of unimpressed with Hertz, and he played a little bit better than I thought upon rewatching. Uh, his when he when he decided to let it loose and throw the ball, he was great. Um, his his his, uh, his location on some of his throws was great. Um, I, what, wasn't he like seventeen of nineteen throwing it, and he threw for like three hundred and eighty yards? <laughs> uh, got the box score right here. He was nineteen of twenty six for three ninety five and one touchdown. Okay. Um, so I just. I thought I, I thought Hertz was fine. He didn't play his best game as a Sooner, but I, I'm sure he made some mistakes, just like everyone else did. It's it, it was it just it was a really terrible game. The Sooners played really poorly, and Kansas State played their best game in years. And that's that that's college football. It happens sometimes. And even on uh, the two three and outs in the third quarter, I, on third down and four in the first time, it, it was a really nice play by the Kansas State defense. I think Hertz made the right read because they were showing man across the board. They had almost they had everybody up near the line of scrimmage. And there was nobody in the middle of the field, and they motioned C.D. Lamb orbit motion back, and a guy went with them. So that told that told Hertz that they were in man, and so he thought, all right, I'm going to have Charleston Rambo here with an easy slant with nobody in the middle of the field. And what Kansas State did is they ended up dropping a couple of guys that they were showing blitz, and one of those guys was able to get a hand on it and knock it away. And it's like, ah, I mean, that's, I think that was the right read, and that was just kind of a nice play. And then the second time they had the ball when they went three and out again. Immediately, there was, I think, an, uh, uh, a substitution penalty that made it first and 15. And then they ran that end around to CeeDee Lamb that went for nothing. And then they threw it to Sermon for nine yards. And then it was third and 11. And then Eric Swinson got just beat off the left side. And they brought an extra guy. And that kind of forced Hurts to step up. And they had nobody to go to. And they, they brought him down. And it was – so it wasn't – it, it wasn't as like egregious as I thought it would be. It was almost like, gosh, Kansas State did kind of play some good defense there. And, and Oklahoma shot themselves in the foot by getting behind the chains before they even snapped the ball the second time in that drive. So it was, yeah, it was a perfect storm of everything going wrong. And the fact that Oklahoma was able to even get to a chance where they kicked an onside kick to have a chance to, to go down and tie the game is nuts. And that's the last thing I wanted to get at is – the onside kick and again I know it's over we've moved on I did get some new information though and I sent you this email a moment ago before the show I've talked about Dusty before I talked about him earlier in the show Dusty Dvorak he is now a contributor on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz on News 9 in Oklahoma City with us and he always comes in and he talks him and Dean do a back and forth and you know I was I had a chance to do it last week with him and I wanted to see if he wanted to talk about the onside kick so since Dusty works for ESPN as well he got some information from an ESPN rules analyst. And so this is stuff that I hadn't even heard discussed publicly. I don't, I don't know if you should bring this up because what the guy says is not correct. Based on what though? What's not correct? 
he's he's talking he's talking about how the entire play didn't matter from OU's perspective because Austin Stogner is blocking someone before ten yards, which is blatantly incorrect. Okay, but you're missing the the point of this. The whole thing though is that while he's wrong about that, he does mention that it's a penalty if the kicking team, which was Oklahoma, obviously blocks somebody before 10 yards which happened that happened in the play and so i'm looking at it's from a guy named dave i'm gonna probably mispronounce his name dave kutaya c-u-t-a-i-a and on twitter he's at cfb rules expert and he's an espn football rules expert he's a former pac-12 coordinator of officials of course it's pac-12 gosh with oklahoma pac-12 and i'm sorry i can't i can't really take anything he says seriously and i know that's hacky but 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 i i i read i read the thing you sent me it's it's incorrect he's not right what he says happened didn't happen that's why i wanted to bring this up because it's bizarre because his description of what happened is not necessarily true but again you're overlooking it's a penalty according to the rules if you block a guy before 10 yards, which did happen. So therefore, How, in no, a weird roundabout when, way... When did that happen? Bridges. Bridges made contact with a guy before 10 yards. Go back... And that's... And this is... If you're at home and you're not on your... Like, bring up the play and watch it again and, and see what happened. Here's my... So you're telling me that if, if Trajan Bridges took, like two steps off of the line of scrimmage and a Baylor player came up and just hit him. That would be a penalty on Bridges? That is what that's I want to talk about because I think that's a a flaw in this rule, apparently. And that's why I'm, I, I want some more explanation. And so let me read this to you. Get to the point that that matters. If you... I don't know where to start this because he's wrong about the first part because he says Oklahoma number 18 blocks a K-State player before the ball travels 10 yards. No, he doesn't. He most certainly does not. Think about the second part of that, though, where it says blocks a K-State player before the ball travels 10 yards. This is a foul, which carries a five-yard penalty. If the block was below the waist, it would be a 15-yard penalty. Here's the rule. A member of the kicking team may not block a receiving team player until the ball travels 10 yards or it is first touched by a receiver. There is no restriction on the receiving team with the exception that they may not block below the waist. This is reviewable and replay can create a foul. This was missed on the field and missed by replay. That's the part that's super interesting because not only was that missed on the field. Wait, so are you sure it's... Are you sure? Like, so he is saying the rule is you can't, the person on the kicking team can't block anyone until the ball goes 10 yards? Yes. Stogner most certainly did not touch that guy until the ball had gone 10 yards. No. Stogner touches, Stogner ends up being in contact with the the K State guy and Trajan Bridges after Bridges and the K State guy contact. And this is why this is so confusing because the guy is explaining what's happening in the replay and he's immediately wrong because. Austin Stogner does not block the person first. It's Bridges. And this is the question. The guy... Bridges blocks no one. Bridges blocks no one. He does, though, because there's there's contact. It's a block. There's contact. And so this is why I need even more explanation, because if that's the rule, like you were saying a moment ago, the receiving team, if they're smart, legitimately on every single onside kick should just have a guy run up about a yard or two before 
the ball goes 10 yards and then make contact with a guy and that's a penalty and then there's no this is nonsense the the guy who the, the guy who dusty talked to doesn't Great. know what he's, he's a college about. football rules expert and worked for the pac 12 he knows the rule book he's yeah and then and then the very first thing he says in there is that stogner blocked a guy which he never okay, did but he got so that he's wrong, wrong. But he doesn't, that doesn't know what he's talking about rule is wrong though the fact that he got that wrong doesn't necessarily doesn't mean that the rule is wrong in the rule book, and it was a plot. Okay, we're. I'm sorry. The if, I bring this if, up is that in a if, weird roundabout way, if someone way, on the receiving team initiates contact with someone on the kicking team, that's not a block on the kicking team. In no in no universe is that a block. Okay, but it is. It's 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 two people engaged in a block. That that's just the way it is, and so that's why I need to see. Really? So I, I, I guess, so if a defender who is trying to tackle a ball carrier is being blocked by the offense, that defender is also performing a block? That's why, I don't know. That's why I'd love to have more explanation on this rule, which I guess I could. I don't understand why we can't just say, hey, this, they blatantly got the call wrong very clearly. That's fine. Let's well, no, move on. Because it happens in a roundabout way, it looks like they got the call right based on the rule book, which is very bizarre. And that's why it's, it's, so weird that I had not seen this. Now, remember the whole force. I will not concede on this point. They got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're just like going against the rule book. So, so do you really want to keep talking about it? I will not concede. I don't like. Remember we talked about force touching. That was the whole thing. Here's why this was not force touching, according to this guy. The illegal block by the Oklahoma player. And he's going to be wrong about this too. Accelerated the Kansas State player into the Oklahoma player who touched the ball, which is wrong. That didn't happen. In addition. Force touching. He, here, everything he says after that is complete. Is, it doesn't correct. matter because There's he's a wrong. Difference between on his first how two he's points. watching this play and what the rule book says. Okay, that's. And so here's the part that actually matters because force touching applies to a player that is passive. The Oklahoma player was not passive. Basically, the rule states that if a player is blocked and that block causes him to touch a free kick or scrimmage kick, he is deemed. Not to have touched the ball. Touching of a kick is reviewable. Whether a player was blocked into touching the kick is not. So here's the guy's summary. Other than missing the illegal block, this was the correct call. Oklahoma would not have gotten the ball. The illegal block, if called, would carry the option of a re-kick, blah, 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 blah. So the question remains. Why wouldn't a receiving team always run a guy up a yard or two in front before the ball goes 10 and then just make contact with somebody and then have that be a block because that's what happened in this scenario the answer is because your interpretation of the rule is probably not correct because the guy that dusty talked to is an idiot <laughs> he's a college football rules expert dumb, that works for espn but he completely he invalidates everything he says by getting his first two points completely wrong now I'm with you that it's confusing that he gets stuff wrong. That's what makes it. That's what makes me skeptical. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what he says about the rule is wrong. You have to two things to be true at once. That's what's so weird about it. Just because he's wrong about what he says about Austin Stogner, which he's 100 percent wrong about, doesn't mean that he's applying the rule wrong. So we need to know more about this rule. Uh, no, except he he said in his very first point, Lee. That Austin Stogner's block on the K-State guy is what caused the K-State guy to run into Trajan Bridges. Which, if you watch the play once, or even twice, it's very obvious that is not what occurred. Right. So how, how, how on earth am I going to take seriously what that guy says after that? Well, whenever he says that the rule in the rule book says a member of the kicking team may not block a receiving team player until the ball travels 10 yards 
or its first touch by a receiver. And whenever Trajan Bridges and a Kate State guy make contact before 10 yards, it's hard to argue that there's not a block there. And the question would be then, does it matter who initiates? The question then is, what if the guy on the receiving team comes up before 10 yards and makes contact with somebody, which is what happened? What is the kicking team player to do? Because that seems like an unfair advantage for the receiving team. That's the question. And I don't know the answer to that right now. Because I, I was texting Dusty to see if he could get more info, and he never got back to me. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't need to, I don't. Well, I mean, the receiving team has an inherent advantage in that situation anyway. Well, sure. That's the point of an onside kick. It just seems to me that anytime there's an onside kick, just tell one of your receiving team guys to just run up a yard or two and then just make contact. And that should be a penalty, according to this guy, according to the rule book. The weird part is it was not called on the field. And it was not called upon replay review. <laughs> and when the Big 12 reviewed it, they never, they never mentioned any of that, what this guy just mentioned. So it makes me think that human beings are really incompetent and stupid, and this guy may be in that, in that branch. Maybe. Maybe. People are human beings. That's fine. Like, it's just, just you got the call wrong. Just admit it. It's okay. But this guy had nothing to do with any of the call. It was just like a, 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 a bite, like somebody outside of everything. And that's fine. And I... I think it's completely reasonable on my part to completely discount everything he says <laughs> after the very first thing he gets factually wrong. Uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> and so I think it's it's pretty reasonable for me to expect that, or not expect, but think he could also be factually wrong on other things. Okay. When he starts it out with a blatant factual error. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. You know, he was wrong about the Stogner thing, therefore... It's reasonable to believe that maybe he's wrong about the onside kick rule with blocking. Because, I mean, obviously the Big, the Big 12 doesn't even know what's going on with it. So why should I expect this guy to know? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is, see, this is like, this is a feature of college football, not a bug. It's, it's, this is like one of those things in five years we look on, it's like, ah, that's kind of funny. It happened. It's a memory. Like that, that Oregon game still from, geez, 13 years ago now. It's... Does it suck that it happened? Yeah. But is it kind of funny now? A little bit. Because it's, it's not that important. It was 13 years ago. It's just football. It's just like, I, you got the call wrong. Admit it. It's okay. Move on. <laughs> I just want to know more about this rule, this alleged rule now, because uh, maybe I'll... Uh, just saying, yeah. there's, just, there's just nothing not, nothing really adding up there, which leads me to believe that that guy is getting the rule wrong. And it wouldn't surprise me because the Big 12 also got the rule wrong when they ruled on the thing. Well, so well, hopefully this is new information that none of you have heard yet because it was new to me and I hadn't seen this anywhere else. So if anything, us arguing and about this can make you think more and just kind of make you more skeptical about what happened in Manhattan that day. Very bizarre. Kansas State still deserved to win. <laughs> they deserved to win, but Oklahoma should have had another chance to, to tie it at least if if not uh, win it, if they, w <clears throat> if they would decide to go for two. All right. With, after we've uh, put the Kansas State game to bed, finally, uh, almost uh, you know, about a week, uh, a week later, a week and a half later, let's get to the news and notes of the week. And let's start with Lincoln Riley's presser, and we'll start with injuries. And so Grant Calcaterra has missed, what, the last two games, I think, with, uh, well, it's, it's an undisclosed injury. Uh, Delarian Turner-Yell. Last three. Last three games. Okay. Texas, West Virginia, and uh, K-State. Wow, yeah. So, uh, Calcaterra, uh, Delarian Turner-Yale left the K-State game in the middle of it. And according to Riley, 
everybody that's been injured is in a wait and see mode. They're going to get them back this week and then make a determination on their status later in the week. Translation, we're not going to know until game time if these guys are going to be able to play. And even if they were full go and practice 100%, we wouldn't know. And Riley and them would, would be saying this no matter what. I don't know, because when you go over to Jordan Kelly and Caleb Kelly, Riley said that both of those players are practicing full go now. Not just Caleb Kelly. We already knew. Yeah, Jordan Kelly has already dressed. Like Jordan Kelly is dressed for the last three games. Like That's not a mystery. I didn't know that. Yeah, Jordan Kelly dressed for the Texas game. He did? And was warming up. Yeah. yeah. Jordan Kelly's been a full go for over a month now. Well, according to Riley, they're both week to week as far as uh, their their status of playing. And Riley reiterated on Monday that being cleared and being ready to play are two very different things. And he also added that if there you know, gets to a point in the season where those guys can be on the field and make a difference, then they're going to play him. So that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I, all the options are open when it comes to Caleb Kelly, when it comes to the redshirt stuff. And uh, so, I mean, I guess kind of wait and see, see how he progresses, see if they think that he can help him out. Uh, also, too, we were talking about Caleb Kelly, his position, if he comes back and play. It sounds like, uh, well, it doesn't sound like, Riley said that he's still a will linebacker. He's still an inside backer. But uh, they, I mean, he said they are open to, you know, based on his skill set, they could maybe move him around if they need to. So, Yeah, they're not going to. If they're going to experiment with Caleb Kelly anywhere else, <laughs> that's not something we're going to know about until game day or when like they, he actually runs out there at a different position. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, we're we're definitely getting to the point where these. Uh, anytime Lincoln Riley or the coaching staff opens their mouth, it's just kind of it's kind of a yawn for me, which is great. I'm fine. Like I'm totally okay with that. But or I'm just I'm not going to expect to get any sort of useful information out of him. And if I was a head coach, I'd be the exact same way. A couple of the other things that Lincoln Riley said, and I'll save one for a little bit from now, but asked about the college football playoff, obviously the rankings. Uh, by the way, we're recording this Tuesday early evening before the rankings have come out, uh, so we're not going to know the college football playoff rankings. Do you know what time they come out Tuesday night, Grant? It's 8 o'clock. Okay. On t- I mean, it's yeah, late. So we're not going to know. We're not going to know the, the rankings on this podcast. So, OU's going to be number 10. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay. Well, I, see, I haven't even, honestly, I haven't even looked. I, I don't really care where they are because it, it doesn't matter. And it was great to hear Lincoln Riley because he was asked about if he's going to pay attention. And he said, yeah, I mean, whatever. Like, he, he doesn't put a lot of stock into it. Uh, he says he has zero bother about the college football playoff rankings. He said, right now, they just got to win. And, uh, yeah, he's exactly right. You know, it's, people get super worked up about rankings a lot these days. When you're Oklahoma, especially when you're undefeated, rankings don't matter a lick. And, yeah, maybe they matter a little bit more now that Oklahoma's got one loss, but the Sooners have a lot of work to do for it to even matter. And it's not going to matter until the end. And so that's why he's 100% right. These rankings coming out Tuesday, as far as Oklahoma is concerned, really as far as any other teams are concerned, it doesn't matter at all. It's just for us to talk about. Let's see. Kenneth Murray talked uh, on Monday. He said the word urgency quite a bit. He said there's a sense of urgency on the defense. Uh, and as, when it comes to takeaways, which is still super annoying, Grant, did you know at this time last year, Oklahoma had more takeaways than the current team? Jesus. Yeah. At this time last oh, year, Oklahoma had seven, seven takeaways. This team has six. Oh. It's, it's, it's just weird up to this point. You know, I, 
you can you can point to the instances you know where they've actually had you know their hands on a ball and they should have made a play. There was one of them in the K State game. Trey Brown but, had two in the K State game. I rewatched it. But I but at the same time, I just like I I watch their opponents and they're just they're pretty careful with the ball. Like everyone they play. Yeah. So I don't. And then I I turn on some other random college football game and I see a team like turn it over five times, making terrible decisions. And thinking to myself, where like where is that against OU? Why don't other teams do that against OU? Well, Trey Brown should have had not one but two interceptions, and I had totally forgotten. I mean, we all remember the one in the second half where it bounced off his face mask, and it could have saved Oklahoma, you know, maybe two three minutes because that was on third down, and that would have given him the ball uh, in plus territory. Uh, There's another one, Grant, that uh, right after the Rambo drop interception. It was either the first play of that series or the second play of that series that uh, the ball was thrown and he made a nice break on the ball and it hit him right in the hands and he dropped it. He could have stopped all that momentum Kansas State had. Did he really? Did it hit him right in the yeah, hands? Yeah, he made a nice break on the ball and it was right there. Because I, I I remember the play you're you're referencing. I just I figured that it was that the K State receiver had his hand in there too. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't show a replay of it, but I watched it a couple back a couple times. It looked like it was a play he should have made. That it was I, I didn't see the Kansas State receiver do anything i can watch it actually i'm kind of curious to watch it again but uh th- oh, you don't have to do it right now well i got it pulled up right here yeah I, it it was on v- the very next play just staring down a receiver yeah he should have made that play he got up and he kind of he did one of those things where he kind of like jumped a bit and kind of like put his head back like ah should have had that one yeah so I mean, that would have been such a big play to, you know, right after Kansas State had a huge momentum play. So, anyways, takeaways. Uh, Kenneth Murray said that in practice, the team has been doing something different when it comes to takeaways. And Alex Grinch also said that they've been doing something different. Uh, not surprisingly, they're not saying what they're doing differently. They're going to keep that in house. So, uh, I mean, this is kind of starting to eerily sound a lot like last year, <laughs> just like what they're doing in practice. Oh, yeah, we got turnover drill, we got takeaway drill. It's just it's yeah it's it's pretty weird. <sighs> Except the one the one difference is is that they've they've played well on defense in seven of eight yes, games. True. So true. Well, I uh, I asked Lincoln Riley a question about takeaways, and I think we I thought it was some information. I don't know if it matters going forward, but it's something that I didn't know before I asked him, and so here it is. Coach, uh, I'm not sure how much you want to get into this considering you call the plays, but on the topic of takeaways, are you seeing them in practice during team and it's just something that's not transitioning into the, the live action at all? Yeah, I don't think that's fair to say. No, we, we, we take away the ball in practice. We do. Um, and I, I know it's emphasized like crazy. We've got to settle in and be confident and just go make those plays in the games. I mean, there's, we're, like I said, we're giving ourselves opportunities, and we got to create more opportunities too. Um, and that, that's coaching, playing, everything. We, we certainly have to create more opportunities. But even – and we've had some guys play extremely well against us. I thought the Kansas State guy, you know, quarterback, played a, a really, really good game. But even as good as he played, he gave us some golden opportunities. And uh, you play good teams, especially teams – you know, and at OU, I mean, you're always going to get everybody's best, and and you, you you better be ready to make your plays when you can. So, according to Lincoln Riley, in practice, they're they're seeing the ball taken away every once in a while here and there. It's just 
not happening in the games. And like you said, like kind of your point, like it seems like the teams Oklahoma's playing against are taking care of the ball really well. And, and that's what Riley said about Skylar Thompson. But he did, again, give Oklahoma some chances to get some. And Oklahoma didn't. I mean, just look at the look at look at Kansas State's two takeaways in that game. I mean, one hundred percent luck based. Yeah. Just in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Hey guys, Lee here. Since we went a little bit longer than usual, we decided to break this podcast up into two parts. So that was part one. Part two will be out tomorrow, which is where we get into the in-game matchups between Oklahoma and Iowa State. And we'll tell you what we want to see happen in that game. And yes, we do make some half-hearted predictions. And then at the end of the show, we make some picks. And Grant's going to go to that Minnesota-Penn State game this Saturday. He'll tell you why ESPN College Game Day made a mistake in not going to Minneapolis. Part two will be in your podcast players tomorrow. Take care, gang.